2: Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. For Cust Cust with myself, Craig Peters, and Now, part of the Beats and Family Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you. As In segment number two, we head out to the great city of Seattle. That's where we find our good friend Curtis Rogers over at 710 Seattle Sports. We're going to be chatting with him about the West Coast College basketball landscape. What to make out of the perhaps murky situation with number one, who should be number one right now, will likely be taking a look forward at some of the big games that we're going to be getting on Saturday since Friday. It's a relatively bare card. We have just 10 games, but with those 10 games, you're going to get picks and analysis on all 10 of them in the final segment as we hit some bank shots, so be on the lookout for that, and if you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you, for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters leave me doesn't matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way, that is by an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. by that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a fun day of college basketball on Thursday, and we got a few results from Wednesday that we need to clean up as well. So let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. In terms of the late Wednesday card, we saw San Diego State... Be able to get the job done, a win and a cover over Utah State by a count of 85-75. to 75. It was a good performance from San Diego State. I don't know if I'm still overly impressed as I don't think that you're going to have Adam Siako come off the bench and shoot 7-9 of nine from 3 very often like he did with 25 points, but you did get a double-double in this game out of Keshad Johnson. And for Utah State, I've been anticipating a little bit of 3-point shooting aggression with them. They go 11-33 from 3. Entered in this game, shooting a little bit over 4. 42% from three point range, so they're starting to hit the skids there. Boston College a win, but on most numbers, a cover on the close on the open Louisville with a cover 75 to 65. This is one in which it all depended upon what you bet pre-flop as Boston College, they were able to go 8 of 22 from three-point range, but and Langford 21 points, and I'm telling you, this Boston College team is different with Quinton Post in the post. 22 points, 6 rebounds, 7-footer with good versatility for this team, so interesting result out there. We did also see Texas A&M completely dump truck Auburn by kind of 79-63, to and this is a Texas A&M team that all of a sudden, by the way, They have allowed 66 points or fewer, and I believe seven out of their last nine games, they've really been able to ratchet up on defense, and Tyrese Radford had 30 points in this game. Auburn continues to be an anemic three-point shooting team. They went three of 16 from distance. Gene Broome was cleaning up. He had seven blocks, 16 points, but that's not enough, as Wendell Green was the only other guy that really showed up for Auburn in this one. You saw Providence just completely mop the floor with a pretty sad Butler team 79 to 58 in the final. Butler did go 8 of 19 from three-point range in this one, but for Providence, they have now covered I believe 5 out of the last 6 home games. They were able to get a double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds out of Devin Carter. He was able to produce at a high level and for Providence, they did a solid job being able to win that rebound battle 42 to 24. So, another big fat L for our good friends over there with Butler and you did also see Chicago State really give Stanford a run for their money. 72-65. to 65. Stanford gets the outright win, but no cover, and they got bailed out by the fact that Spencer Jones went 6-9. of nine, Very nice from 3-point range. 21 points. Maximine Raynaud, 17 points. 13 rebounds. Harrison Ingram did chip in their 15, but for Chicago State, very good performance out of Wesley Carter. 31 points. A former top 100 recruit. Chicago State, they belong in a conference and they showed out very well in this one, and then you saw Creighton put up 100 104-76. to 76. They take down St. John's. And St. John's won 6-13 from 3 in this game. You had 23 points out of A.J. store As you had uh, coming in... Uh, Andre Cabello off the bench and Posh Alexander, he uh, did not play in this game, so that was a little bit of an issue for the St. John's team and for Crane. all sorts of efficiency with them, shooting nearly 57% from the floor. Every one of their starters had at least 12 points, including Baylor Shireman, 17 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. For Crane. just 7 turnovers against the St. John's team, which their lifeblood is being able to generate turnovers, so a little bit of cleanup for Wednesday and then on Thursday, we saw a rarity: a Merrimack over, as they were able to get the job done in terms of that. As the total was one nineteen and a half, and in terms of Merrimack, in terms of the side, they take down Central Connecticut sixty-four to sixty-one. This was pretty much a pick'em game when it was all said and done. But Merrimack has played twenty-two games; they have had just three games now go over the total as. In this game, fewer turnovers than normal. You had Central Connecticut have 14 and Merrimack with 12. So that's a big reason why we've been seeing so many of these games go under with Merrimack. Just because they have such high turnover games, it's not even funny. And out in the NEC, this is from one of our good friends. He does an absolutely tremendous job of taking a look at the NEC. Ryan Peters, NEC teams at home. 16-20 Sixteen and twenty straight up as Long Island as is a thirteen point underdog and legitimately not a good team. They went outright against Sacred Heart, so we've been seeing some craziness out there. With regards to craziness as well, Michigan State, they win by two, so if you laid two and a half to three, unable to get there against Iowa, 63-61. to Iowa was as cold as ice from three, three of 17 from distance as they also went six of 13 at the free-throw line. Patrick McCaffrey was a game-time decision, did not go on this one, and... For Michigan State, they went 8-of-20 from three-point range, which led them to victory. Michigan State loses the rebound battle 38-37, but they win the turnover battle 13-10. But when they needed a free throw or two to be able to get the cover, they were unable to get it. So that was a relatively ugly ending. If you laid the points with Michigan State, very nearly a bad beat in SMU versus Memphis, but crisis was averted as Memphis, who blew out SMU all game long, 99-84. They're able to cover right around 12.5 points as Zurich Phelps was able to chip in their 20 points for an SMU team that went 9 of 34 from 3, but Memphis shoots 54% from the floor. Kendrick Davis, 11 assists, 25 points, 7 rebounds, just Memphis Putting on a display in this one. They played even up on the last 41 to 41, but they were able to do a rock solid job with having so many guys that were able to just bomb it from three-point range as UI Keandre Kennedy. Go three of five from three for Memphis. We get the job done. They get the win and they get the cover. Louisiana Monroe now six and three in some outplay as Marshall. They lose outright as a favorite of sixteen points, eighty-six to eighty-two in two overtimes. You get a massive 35-point performance. Uh, Jamari Blackman for Louisiana Monroe. You also had Victor Bafuto, Thomas Howell combined for 26 rebounds in this game. As Marshall, they had Tavion Kinsey, Andrew Taylor do their part. They combined for 45 points, but Marshall loses the battle on the glass 58-37. to 37. So even though Marshall had 10 fewer turnovers than Louisiana Monroe, Louisiana Monroe... As a big giant underdog, they're able to get the job done. You U W Green Bay in their first game without will Ryan lose and not cover against Northern Kentucky by a count of sixty eight to fifty and This is a game that just really toil pulled on them u w Green Bay was actually somewhat competitive in this game. They were down by a count of forty five to thirty nine with about twelve minutes remaining and then well, they were unable to close out from there. It has been a rough rough year for them to say the least. UNC Wilmington has been going through a little bit of a rough patch as well. They have been up and down in terms of being able to cover as they've now covered, I believe, just one out of their last four games. They win, but they don't cover against Monmouth, 52-49, a Monmouth team that has scored fewer than 60 points and now seven out of their last eight games. So it's been a relatively brutal stretch for them. It has been a good stretch, though, for Oral Roberts, 102 to 61 they get the win they get the cover against Denver as they were only up four points at the half where Roberts was but 59 count of 59 in the second half and we've got to take a look at the biggest upchucking of the night as you saw Drexel and North Carolina A&T in an interesting battle for Drexel they get up 33 to 21 to begin the second half and then from there North Carolina a Goes on and I'm not even kidding here. A twenty-eight to two run. They got up by a count of forty-nine to thirty-five, and at one point North Carolina AT who entered into the second half, down by double figures, was up sixty to forty. Drexel was able to claw their way back, but not enough. 68 to 55. North Carolina AT as a slight underdog. They get the job done. They win, they cover. James Madison, they were one of your big time darlings. Towards the beginning part of the college basketball season, looked like things were starting to get right for them, but all of a sudden, James Madison has covered just two out of their last eight games. They win, but they don't cover against Coastal Carolina, seventy-five to sixty-nine. A Coastal Carolina team that had just allowed seventy-four points the previous game against Chicago State, as James Madison just seven to twenty-eight from three-point range, and looked like James Madison was in full control of this game as well because they were up by kind of forty-seven to thirty, with three oh nine remaining in the first half. So if you took the one fifty one total under, it was not looking great at that point, but you were able to get the under as James Madison just forgot how to score towards the back half of this game as if you do the math, they scored 28 points in the final 2309, after scoring 47 points in the first 17 minutes of the game against the Coast Carolina team that Ranks in the bottom 50 in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. I'm doing this as we've got some games going down. DK Nation pick of the under in Michigan versus Purdue is not in great shape. Purdue up by kind of 41 to 34 because Michigan not guarding at all against Zach who had 15 points in the first half. Jed Howard was out this game, by the way, and Michigan, after a relatively good start to the game on offense, has been going through a little bit of a rough stretch. And finally, Dante got hurt in warmups for Oregon as I do this. Oregon is currently leading in the beginning part of the second half by kind count of 38-31, to 31, but I thought that that was a little bit intriguing. And what has been a really good story in college basketball, what Sam Houston State has been able to do, one of those good old hole is greater than some of its first teams. They are up 48-28 to 28, with eight minutes remaining in the second half, just one of the most stifling defenses in all of college basketball. So we've had some very intriguing results happening in college basketball last few days, including Florida Atlantic. Yet another cover for them, 85-67. to 67, This Florida Atlantic team, right now, your number one cover eight team in all of college basketball. The numbers are getting set higher and higher on them, and every single time they get set higher and higher for Atlantic, just continues up their play more and more as they're 15 3 and 1 against the spread. Currently, the top cover 8 team in all of college basketball. Currently, your bottom cover 8 team is Tulsa at 3 15 and 1 against the spread. They were not in action on a Thursday, your worst cover eight team that was in action on Thursday was UW Green Bay, who's now six and sixteen against the spread. Mammoth, a very close six and fifteen against the spread, and got to give a shout out to Georgia State, who's been pretty bad against the spread. A lose to Appalachian State, seventy one to fifty nine, as they now fall to a poultry five twelve and one against the spread. As for our Georgia State, they were able to get back in the fold. Their top scorer, Dwan Odom, who came off the bench for thirty minutes, he had six points and six turnovers. It's not great right there. And for Appalachian I should say, then go to 7 of 19 from three-point range. And if you're looking trend-wise at what we're getting in college basketball right now, it has been quite a few overs recently. 1,753 overs to 1,706 unders. So 50.7% of games have gone over the total this season, and home underdogs overall for the season, 505, 451, and 18 against the spread. But if you look at the last seven days in college basketball, more of a stalemate, 47, 48, and three against the spread this after the last, I will call it, three weeks. It has been a relatively dry stretch for home underdogs as they have really been hitting the skids as overs and unders. They've been going the way of overs over the last seven days, 158 overs, 150 unders. And... I believe thrown in there, we've got three pushes as well. And if you look at the last 30 days, because I think that that's a little bit more telling in terms of what we have been seeing in terms of the home underdogs and the overs. Home underdogs, 230, 228, and 11 against the spread after they were hitting at north of a 55% clip prior to this. And last 30 days in college basketball, 746 unders to 692 unders. That is a clip of about 52% to the over. Typically not what you find in conference play in college basketball. But it has been a wild and crazy college basketball season. And coming up next, we have to discuss it with our good friend Curtis Rogers Over there at 710 Seattle Sports, we're going to be taking a look at the West Coast college basketball landscape, who deserves to be number one, and what is going to be a rambunctious weekend in college basketball as well. That is up next right here on Coast to with myself, Doug Peterson, now a part of the Family Podcast. Welcome we're back here with LB Las Vegas for Coast Coast Eats with myself, Greg Eats peterson Now a part of the v family of And it's great to be joined by our guests as Curtis Rogers does absolutely amazing work over at 710 Seattle Sports, covering a little bit of everything. He does a great job when it comes to baseball season, doing Seattle Mariners pre- and post-game shows on top of that. When it comes to football season, was doing an amazing job taking a look at the Seattle Seahawks. Does great work on the college basketball front as He's a man that does a great job covering the Pac-12, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, and so much more out there in the great state of Washington. And you're able to follow him on Twitter, at akidfromkent altogether. That is also his Instagram. And Curtis, always great to have you aboard. Thank you.
1: Greg, always appreciate getting the call from you. I look forward to this one because... I mean, we are now, what, a month away, a little over a month away from conference tournament time, from NCAA tournament time. It sneaks up on you, but it is right there for the taking for a lot of these teams across the college basketball landscape. A lot of great races heating up.
2: Yep, there are a lot of great races, and what do you make out of the race and just the West Coast teams as a whole? This includes, like, the Pac-12, the West Coast Conference, the Mountain West, because typically it's a situation where you've got really a big three, in my opinion, with – UCLA, Arizona, and Gonzaga. But with Gonzaga, I don't even know if they're the best team in this conference right now, as I think that that actually might belong to St. Mary's. We're going to find out soon enough in terms of that, because St. Mary's and Gonzaga, I believe, a hookup a little bit over a week from now. But with Gonzaga, this just is not the same team that we've seen in the past. For some reason, they're still out of St. Mary's in the polls. But I just have not been impressed by Gonzaga because even in their wins, they're barely escaping those games. And they finally got burned against Loyola Marymount last week.
1: They did. You play with fire. Like you said, you're going to get burned. And they've got a tough one coming up this weekend at Portland. Shantae Leggins, as we know, a really good coach. Uh, Took Eastern Washington to the NCAA tournament. He's got the Pilots playing a lot more competitively, and I think that's going to be one to definitely watch for out in the West Coast Conference. St. Mary's with a tough test, too, at BYU. We all know the Marriott Center can be just a raucous environment for any team that chooses to visit. We saw Gonzaga sneak away with a victory against BYU earlier this season. Julian Strother hitting the big three at the end of the game, but it's going to be wild. It's obviously going to come down to Gonzaga and St. Mary's atop the WCC, but it is not the runaway that it's been for Gonzaga in years past. I think the Zags team right now is not going to be a Final Four team. I think I feel pretty confident saying that. Now, they do have some incredible talent. They're very battle-tested, but right now, I just have a hard time buying into them, especially considering you know losing at home to Loyal Marymount, a Loyal Marymount team that I mean, let's face it, they're not going to the NCAA tournament this year. A big eye-opener, especially the eye-openers in the non-conference where we saw Gonzaga lose, you know, by close to 20 points at times. We saw them get blown out by Texas. So this Gonzaga team, a stark contrast from Gonzaga teams of years past. I think this one, this year they've got, what, four losses. And I think in the previous two seasons combined, they had four losses. So the Zags right now... Up against it, chasing for that WCC number one
2: seed in regular season. Brown. It's been so interesting to take a look at Gonzaga this year because typically we're used to them not always being number one per se. That has been the case really the past two seasons, but typically they're a top five team, so seeing the fall off of them has been very fascinating. To say the say, has joined me on the podcast. We do have Curtis Rogers over at 710 Seattle Sports. This is something that we... We're expecting coming into the year, and it's something that we have gotten, though. The Pac-12, it is very top-heavy once again. We are unsure of how the Pac-12 action from Thursday went since most of the teams were in action. The USC versus UCLA game, I certainly do think is of note because USC has been playing a little bit better, bas- better basketball recently, but even if USC was able to get the job done there and Arizona loses to Washington State, I still think that it's very, very fair to say Arizona, UCLA, those are your top two teams in the Pac-12. But what do you make out of this landscape in the Pac-12? Because I've honestly been a little bit surprised by Arizona State. They've been able to sneak up. Washington State has just done too much damage to be able to make the NCAA tournament, but they might be the best double-digit loss team in all of college (laughs) basketball at this point, aside from Texas Tech, because Texas Tech is out there in the Big 12. But what have you made out of the Pac-12? Because there are some clear slugs like Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford, who very nearly lost to Chicago State on their own floor. But I do feel like there are a few teams that are hoping salvage this conference and perhaps give this conference a little bit more than just that big two.
1: Yeah, I look at right now in the Pac-12, a team that I have my eye on as one that could potentially get into the NCAA tournament is Utah. They're 14-7 and seven overall, but they're 7-3 and three in conference play. They have a quality win against Arizona. They've looked really good at times this season. I mean, obviously, not a ton was expected of them this season, but they've really come to play in the Pac-12 I look at Arizona and UCLA as locks for the NCAA tournament. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. I think USC, ASU have really good cases as well to make the NCAA tournament. If the Pac-12 wants to get a fifth team in the big dance, I think Utah right now might be their best shot. I think Oregon right now has boxed themselves into a spot where they have to go on a run in the Pac-12 tournament potentially even win the Pac-12 tournament to even sniff the NCAA tournament. They have really not helped themselves out at all this season by just playing about 500 ball. Uh, Washington, I don't see it from them. Colorado, I don't see it from them. You mentioned Wazoo, maybe the best sub-500 team in the country right now at 9-12, and 12. maybe the best 12-loss team in the country, uh, you could say. Stanford is an interesting one. They've won three in a row here. Although one of those wins came against Chicago State. The barnstorming tour that is Chicago State. So right now, I look at four teams in the Pac-12 that could potentially make it to the tournament. Maybe even a fifth in Utah if things continue to break their way.
2: Yep, with Utah, I actually like what I've been seeing out of them as well. So I am so glad that you bring them up as joining me on the podcast. We do have Curtis Rogers over at 710 Seattle Sports. And certainly when it comes to the Pac-12, you don't necessarily have the number one team in all of college basketball between Arizona and UCLA, though both of those teams have been playing really well. And that's why I think it's so interesting, because going into Thursday, number one team was Purdue. We don't know how that game against Michigan went or not, but even if Purdue is able to get the job done and they're able to win convincingly, I still don't know if they're necessarily that number one team in all of college basketball. I really feel like it's a jury's out situation, even though they lost over the weekend. I think that Houston, moving forward, if they can just continue to play that tough defense, continue to improve that offense, they could be when it's all said and done, that number one team. But even if they do, it's not like they're necessarily going to be number one by a whole a lot. UConn was a bunch I was very warm on. They've now lost six out of their last eight. Things have went completely down the tubes for them. I'm not sure what you make out of the race for number one, but it's a very murky situation, and it just feels like it's changing by the hour at this point. It really does, and it's so hard to, to just you know
1: project who's going to be the next team that falls from the top of the AP rankings. A team that I've been really impressed with this season is Alabama, and they're right now at number two. In the AP poll, they're 18-2 and two overall this season. Haven't lost since losing to Gonzaga wow, a long time ago in this season. It has been quite a bit of games played since then. They've got an interesting matchup on the road against Oklahoma, a Big 12 SEC matchup, a future SEC matchup that's coming up on Saturday. It should be an interesting one to watch for. Alabama's got an interesting stretch uh, in the middle of February at Auburn, at Tennessee, back-to-back games just a couple days apart. That's going to really test them. That Alabama-Tennessee game, one of the games of the year, I think that's going to be on February 15th. Two SEC powers this season, two teams that – have the ingredients for a deep run Nate Oates obviously doing a great job coaching especially given the circumstances of Alabama season we don't need to get into all the craziness that has gone on off the court you can google that situation obviously mm-hmm. but I mean Brandon Miller has been just outstanding maybe the best freshman in the country a guy who is certain to be a top five pick in this year's NBA draft. I mean, he's shooting 46% from the field, 82% from the line, 45% from three, averaging nearly 20 points and eight boards a game. I mean, this guy is electric. This guy is so smooth. He's not the only one doing it. Mark Sears has been great, too, for Alabama. I really like the Tide this year. I think they are going to be a team certainly worth watching as they gear up for a Final Four run and maybe even... A national championship game opportunity.
2: I've been very impressed by them as well. I am in total agreement as they've been a team that, as they rise up quite a bit, still do have a few concerns that perhaps the defense might start to slip up a little bit because they do play at a breakneck pace. And sometimes when you have a team that plays that quickly, that can rear its ugly head. But to your point, I know that you were referencing the fact that they're going to be playing against Oklahoma this weekend. What I think is really big in college basketball for the next few days is what we're going to be able to see out that SEC Big 12 Challenge because I personally wish we got more of these because I love conference play and everything like that, but I remember when we always got the Bracket Busters week many, many years ago. That was always fun to see some of those (laughs) non-conference games. So getting something like the Big 12 SEC Challenge, I wish we got more of it, but I really think that it's going to be fascinating to see what we get because I think that without a question, the Big 12 is the biggest is the best conference in all of college basketball. I certainly don't think the SEC is going to get shut out. If Alabama loses to Oklahoma, that would be quite an upset. You've got quite a few solid teams out there in the SEC, but I think that it's going to be very telling to see what happens in this matchup because a matchup like West Virginia versus Auburn, an Auburn team that's one of the better ones in the SEC, a West Virginia team that just because of war tradition, they're one of the lesser teams in the Big 12, I think is going to be a very good measuring stick just to see how much more dominant the Big 12 is, rather than the rest of college basketball.
1: Yeah, and uh, there are a lot of great matchups in this weekend's slate of games between the Big 12 and the SEC. Yeah, look at that Arkansas-Baylor one. Arkansas, a team that obviously had huge aspirations at the beginning of the season. They find themselves outside of the top 25. They take on Baylor, a Baylor team that is not Baylor of the last couple of years, but they're still a really good ball club. They're still a team definitely worth considering if you're looking for a team that may not be on the top line of teams come Selection Sunday, but a team that could potentially make a run. I look at that Arkansas-Baylor game. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Obviously, Texas and Tennessee, there's going to be great intrigue. Rick Barnes going up against his old school in Texas, uh, and then Texas being able to kind of withstand the Chris Beard firing and controversy involving that. And then, man, Kansas-Kentucky, you couldn't ask for a better nightcap out of those games in terms of just blue-blood programs. Kentucky fighting for their lives this season. NCA tournament, try and remain in that picture. John Calipari, will he stay? Will he go? Who knows what that situation is going to be like at the end of the season. There is so much intrigue in this slate of games over this weekend. Look, there's no football on Saturday now, so there's no excuse. you got to be watching these games on Saturday.
2: <laughs> oh, I am right there with you. And even when there <laughs> is football on Saturday, you know what? It's still a case where you do want to be getting to the tube. You want to be taking a look at all nice. these games because – there is such high-level basketball being played as joining me on the podcast. We do have Curtis Rogers of south Ten Seattle Sports. And, Curtis, I know that we were talking about who deserves to be number one, and certainly that's a murky situation. And it does really feel like it's an open season in college basketball, and I want to just pose a question to you. Is there maybe a team or two out there that you've got your eye on right now that you think is playing some solid basketball? They can be even a team that's, like, outside the top 25 that they could sneak in to the NCAA tournament, make a little bit of a run, win a game or two, something of that nature. Is there a team or two that has been really leaping out that maybe it is, maybe you think deserves a little bit more credit than what they've been getting?
1: Well, one team that kind of jumps out to me is a team near the back half of the top 25, and that would be Florida Atlantic. Now, they haven't necessarily played the most difficult schedule, but they have taken care of business going 19-1 here at this juncture of the season. That's a team right now in Conference USA that is winning, and and they're doing it pretty consistently. Janelle Davis averaging 12 points, five boards. Elijah Martin, the exact same stat line. And then you've got the big man down low, Vladislav Golding, 10.6 boards, shooting 63% from the field. That's been a team right now that if they continue to win at this pace, I've always... Thought they come NCAA tournament time. If you've got a team entering the tournament, yes, they might not be a, a number one, two, three, or four seed. But if they're a team that's won close to thirty ball games, I mean, that is a lot of winning that a team has done. They know what they're about. And I don't see Florida Atlantic really slipping up the rest of the way. They've played a few close games lately. Florida International, they won by four. Charlotte, they won by four. UAB, they won by two. North Texas, they won by four. So for both times, actually. They swept North Texas. So, you know, they're a little battle-tested. I think they're going to be a team that is definitely worth watching, considering the hot start that they've gotten off to this year. And then another team that I look at right now, a team that I think has exceeded expectations – to a point where you gotta kinda wonder, like, is Xavier gonna win the Big East this season? I was listening to John Fanta talk the other day. He thinks Creighton is going to get it together and win the Big East tournament, but man, the coaching job that Sean Miller has done this season at Xavier, his very first season, he didn't quite know what this team was going to be. There were a lot of pieces, but he didn't know how they were going to work together. Sully Boom, one of the best transfers in America this season, he's been incredible. I think Xavier right now is in a really good spot going forward here as we reach the second half of the conference slate heading into the Big East tournament I think they're going to be a team to watch this year and it's interesting to know what Sean Miller you know his one year away from basketball he spent it kind of focusing on his offense how can I get this thing up to speed in 2022- 2023 I think he's been doing that you look at the point total Xavier's been putting up They're a lot higher than his days at Arizona, 82, 95, 80, 90, 88, 83, 84. It's fun to watch Xavier
2: right now. They're a very enjoyable team. They are a very enjoyable team. I am in total agreement with you there. And what is even more enjoyable, getting you on the podcast, Curtis. You do amazing work over there at 710 Seattle Sports, covering a little bit of everything. You got football, basketball, baseball. I know you do a good job when it comes to the Seattle Kraken as well. So, that is what is all cracking out there in the great state of Washington. You do an amazing job taking a look at it all. So let the good people at know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms.
1: And also, we've got two undefeated teams in conference play out here. We've got the Eastern Washington Eagles, 8-0 at the Big Sky, and then we've got in the whack the Seattle U Redhawks. So a lot of great college basketball action out here in addition to the Gonzaga Bulldogs, those two teams are, holding it down for the mid-majors. But, yeah, we've got a lot going on out here in the Northwest. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at a kid from Kent. And as Greg said, we're, we're busy doing everything around here. It's going to be a, a very special college basketball season around these parts. And, and Greg, always a pleasure talking to you. Look forward to our next conversation.
2: I do as well because Curtis Rogers, one of the best in the business when it comes to taking a look at the great game of college basketball, always brings Great insights, and it is going to be very interesting to see what we get out here on the West Coast as well. Certainly, you've got the two top teams when it comes to the Pac-12, but we've noticed a few teams being a rise up. Utah is a team that I'm starting to feel a little bit more bullish on, but I'm even more bullish about our good friend Curtis, who does an amazing job. Taking a look at it all. A big thanks, Sam, for joining me right here on Code Scouts. now part of the & Family and Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday. As VSUN, thanks, And we're back here in Las Vegas with myself, Guy peterson now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always great to get to Curtis Rogers board, doing great work over there at 710 Seattle Sports, doing a little bit of everything with the Seattle Mariners, the Seattle Seahawks, looking at the great game of college basketball. He's a man that I have known since I was working back in Portland many years ago, and it's one of the best college basketball minds out there. Going to be very interesting to see what we get out here on the West Coast for the remainder of the year. And got a very good weekend in college basketball upcoming, so always great to get Curtis aboard. Big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots.
1: Today's slate is especially large, so that just means more trips to the window.
0: Hoops is dishing out a second half of bank shots.
2: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at, at D one. We don't have any extra games, so this means that for the most part, we're going in time order. For some reason, the Oakland-Youngstown State game, I think that that got flexed to a 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time tips. Other than Youngstown State versus Oakland, seems as though everything is in time order, so we'll just leave it at that, and we'll get things started with 871, 872 on the betting board. It is Manhattan. They hit their own face-off against Niagara. Niagara between a 5.5 and a a 6-point favorite, and your total on this game between 128 and and 128.5. this is a total I did set at 130. I'm going to be one to go over. It's a man squad that is one of the more up-tempo teams in this conference. Niagara. I mean, forget about the Metro Atlantic, just all across college basketball. They are a slug out of 363 D1 teams. They rank 359th in terms of total possessions per game and more of a mid-tempo team. But I do think that we should see points up on the board because this is a Manhattan squad that is 266th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I will say they're actually giving up 4.1 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road than at home, but... And this is also a squad that they've been able to put up a few points as well. They've gone past the 64-point plateau in three of their last four games. Last time these two teams played, it was 64-59 to 59 men and got a home win in that game. Manhattan had in that game 15 turnovers and 40 field goal attempts. They got to the free throw line 30 times. I think that we're going to see a little bit less of a foul fest, but I do think that Noah Thomason, who got 23 points the first time around, he'll be able to approach that once again in this one. He's been able to get at least 17 points in each of the last five games, shooting 38.5% for three, 18.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.3 assists per contest, and this is also a Niagara squad that I point out as slow they are. It's not like they're necessarily the world's most efficient defense. They're 214th in the country, turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. They do have a pair of guys in Aaron Gray, along Sam Oreo, who in the post have been able to do a solid job with 21.5 points, 10.5 rebounds. Oreo, shooting 48% for three, and Niagara does shoot 35.5% from three. A team that's like turned the ball over 11.5 times per game, they had 14 turnovers in that first contest. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more snug with that regard. And you do have a Manhattan team that they're shooting about 35% from three-point range. Samir Stewart and Nelson, they both give you just below 15 points per game, 14.8 to 14.9 points for both of them. They combine to be able to give you 7.8 assists, 3.3 steals per game. Josh Roberts down low has been able to give the team two blocks. 9.5 rebounds per game, but I do think that Niagara is going to be able to get their offense going, and I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to involve a lot of trips to the free throw line, because I do think that there's going to be late game falling, and you do have a Niagara team that's given up at least 65 points through their last four games, with the lone exception coming against a St. Peter's squad that is just objectively terrible when it comes to being able to put the ball in the basket, so I do think that you get a little bit of a higher scoring game. I don't think that anything is going to be too rambunctious in this one, but semi-total at 130 are I'm going over, I think the Niagara gets revenge for last time. Manan took 14 more free throws than Niagara the first time around to be able to win by 5. I think this time Niagara is going to be able to flip the script. I think that they win the battle down low. I think that Thomas takes over this game. So, did set Niagara as an 8 point favorite. we to lay the number and I'm looking at this total over 873, 874 on the betting board. You've got Detroit. They're going to be in the road face off against Robert Morris. Bobby Morris is a 2 point favorite and your total It is 145 to 145.5. Did set my total at 144.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under. It's a Detroit team that ranks in the bottom 30 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, which is not great, but it's not as if this is a super up-tempo team. They're playing a little bit faster this year than they did a season ago, but that said, 199th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and in the last three games, they're playing at a pace of about three possessions fewer than they have for much of the season, so important to note that, and this is a Robert Morris team that they like to slow things down to a crawl. They're about 275th in terms of total possessions per game now with Robert Morris. They do have a guy that's able to take over in a wide variety of ways. Cheeks, not the best score in the game. I will hit on that in a second. But that's at 17 points, four points, point three assists, one point eight steals, one point two blocks per contest. He is a stat sheet suffer. Best score in this game. That's Antoine Davis, twenty six half points. assists, shooting 40% from three, 90% at the free throw line. This guy has been absolutely terrific. He has scored at least 32 points in three of the team's last four games, coming off of a 14-point clunker. Just could not get anything to go against Oakland. I do think that he's going to be able to rebound from that performance, but what do you get around him? Because Gerald Liddell has been rock solid, averaging a double-double, but ever since he has come back from injury, he has not been himself. Seven rebounds or fewer in each of the previous four games after he had 10-plus rebounds in the first seven games before being injured. Jaden Stone has been out of the fold for this team. Someone that is able to shoot 52% from three hasn't played since January 8th and he should be uh, the fold once again. Jordan Phillips, a nine-point per game score that shoots forty-four percent from three, saw the fold as well. That means that T.J. Moss has had to see more minutes, and I mean, he's been okay. He's been able to give you about two and a half assists per game, but he only chips in there five points per game, shoots right around twenty-four percent from three-point range overall. Offense has been solid, seventy-six plus points in far the team's last five games, but now they go up against a Robert Morris team that they're looking to play a little bit more slow, a little bit more controlled. Seventy-two points for fewer. In three out of their last four games, they do have Khalil Spear, who's able to dominate things down low, 15 points, eight rebounds per contest. Robert Morris does shoot 35.5% for three, but with their slow style, they do turn the ball over 13 times per game. I do like Michael Green, 4.7 assists, uh, fewer than two turnovers per game, and Josh Corman has been able to give you 11 points, shoots about 40% from three-point range, but 11 points are fewer from him in each of the last four games. Robert Morris, I recognize it was against UW-Green Bay, but held the UW-Green Bay to fewer than 40 points in that affair as well. Neither team necessarily rips the ball away. Six and a half seals per game for Robert Morris, five and a half for Detroit. I do think that this is going to be though, just a little bit of a lower possession game, and even with some late game falling, I do think that it stays under, and with Robert Morris, though they don't have that takeover score like Antoine Davis, I think that this well-rounded team, a team that should be able to win the battle on the glass with Demenzie Anderson, really being your leader in total rebounds, Gerald Liddell leads you in rebounds per game, but in terms of guys that have been out there consistently, Demenzie Anderson 10 points, 4.5 boards, he's leading the way in total rebounds, that Robert Morris should be able to get the job done in this ordeal, Robert Morris as a 2.5 point favorite, willing to lay 2. semi total at 144.5, so here are 145 or greater. Also looking at the under, 875, 876 on the bang bar. Iona hits the red face off against Siena. Sienna is an underdog of 5.5 to 6 points with your total between 140 and 141. I said Iona as a 6.5 point favorite, willing to lay the 6, really nothing more than the 6, but willing to lay 6. You've got an Iona team that has been on shaky ground recently. It has not been so great for them because they have been dealing with a few injuries Barrick Jean Louis, along with Walter Klein being the main two, but all these guys should be back to the fold, including a guy in Walter Clayton who's been able to give you 15.5 points per contest. He came back with a solid performance against Manhattan with 21 points, 6 assists in that affair. Overall, shooting 39.5% from 3 and 98% of the free-throw line, but that actually balloons a 45.5% from 3-point range in a road-slash-neutral court environment, so I do like that. Nellie Junior-Joseph along Dennis Jenkins. have been able to combine for 32 points. Junior-Joseph in half rebounds, steal and a half, block and a half per game. Jenkins, he totals off four point eight assists a two point two turnovers per game and for Iona. This is a team that they play at a middle tempo but you know, they only turn their ball over 10.5 times per game. Siena is now in the bottom one in terms of possessions per game. They've been slowing down a little bit. You've got Jackson Stormo who does a solid job down low, 13.5 points, 5.5 boards should be able to do a solid job against the bigs of Iona. You've got JV on McCombs who's able to be a takeover scorer as well. Shoots 36% for three, 16 points per contest but this is an Iona team that is going to be the better defensive squad in this game. For Siena in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're right around 134th, but they're actually allowing 1.4 points more Per 100 possessions when they are at home rather than on the road. Meanwhile, Iona, they're still 52nd in the country. In terms of defensive efficiency, points a lot on a per-possession basis. You do have, for Sienna a nice little, I guess you could call it, ancillary group of guys like a Jared Billups that gives you 7.5 points, six and a half rebounds per game, Andrew Playtech, 10.5 points. She's 46% from three-par range, 8.5 points out of Michael Ely. So they've got some good depth. But with this Iona team, you've got so many guys that are able to step up, like a Barrick Jean-Louis, who I was mentioning a little bit before. 8.5 points, 2.5 assists, a block, a CO per game, all shooting 38% for three. All in all, Iona down to shooting about 33% from three-part range, but still a very solid offensive team. A team that has been held below 70 points just three times all season long. Meanwhile, you've got a Sienna Bunchhead. They've been a little bit all over the place with their offense. 70 points of fear in four of their last five games, and the lone exception is when they put up 72 points against Mount St. Mary's now. That also means that the defense has really been able to step up for the squad as well, as they have given up 66 points of fear and now each out of their last, Eight games, they have not allowed more than really sixty-six points this calendar year. But I do think that Iona going to be able to get to seventy in the spot. I think that this turns into late-game fouling, And Iona, they shoot as a collective seventy-three percent at the free throw line, with having three out of your top four scores shooting at least seventy-four and a half percent at the charity stripe. Willing to lay up to six with Iona did set this total at a one forty-two and a half. I don't think that Iona's. Getting out below 70 in this one. So looking at the over and looking at Iona willing to lay up to six with them. 877, 878 on the banking board. Maris plays also Rider. Ryder is a two to a two and a half point favorite. And your total is 130 and a half to 131. And with Rider, set them as a two point favorite. Two and a half is my buy point on Maris. It's a Marist squad that ranks in the top 30 nationally in terms of opponents' two-point shooting percentage, and this is a Ryder team that they don't necessarily shoot the three very well. They shoot 31.5% from the outside. Now, they've got the best player in this game, Dwight Murray Jr. For Ryder, he's been able to chip in their 16.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.2 assists, 1.5 steals per game, and shoots 37% from three-point range. And to the credit of Ryder, each of their top five scorers shoot at least 76% at the free throw line. Ajiri Aguamo-Johnson needs to pick it up a little bit, only 5.5 points. Points, right around 5 rebounds per game. He's been very all over the place with his production this year because other than Mervin James, who's able to give you 13 points, 7.5 rebounds per game, the only other player on the team that gives you north of 3.6 rebounds per game is Murray Jr. For Mervin James, he's a six foot seven combo player that's able to give you 13 points but only shoots about 25% from 3-par-inch element. Shoots about 38% from 3, but he only ships chips in there right around some points per game. And Maris, they've got their outside shooting woes as well. They shoot 32% from 3 and where you can really hurt them is by a three-point shooting as Maris won the worst three-point shooting defenses in all of college basketball Problem is, Ryder doesn't do a great job with that regard, but Maris has really been looking to Patrick Gardner to produce pretty much everything for them. He's averaging 18 and a half points, six boards, two assists per game. He has been on absolute fire as this is someone that has been able to chip in there at least 15 points in now six straight games. He has gotten to at least 13 points in every single game since the beginning of the month of December, so he has been the main form of offense for the team. They were expecting much more out of Cam Ferris, a 40% three point shooter at Robert Morris, who has only been able to give the team seven points and 28% three point shooting thus far this season. Got a pair of teams that they rank in the bottom 100 in terms of possessions per game, and a pair of teams that, well, they do leave still a little bit of something to be desired on defense. Maris has been able to do a solid job down low, Stefan Ingo being able to give you a block and a half for contest, but even with that, they're right around 140th in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and interestingly, Maris allowing six more points per one possessions at home rather than on the road, which makes no sense whatsoever. But it is what it is, and you got a rider team that's 230th in the country, turns the points a lot on a per possession basis as well. But I do think that you've got a Maris team that is going to be able to hold in this game at two and a half or more. I'm going to be willing to take the points because it is a Maris team that they've allowed 64 points or fewer in each of their last five games, offense leaving something to be desired. But you know what, 66 points and three of their last five, honestly, is not too bad. And you've got a rider team that they've allowed 68 points or fewer in each out of their last four games. They have not exceeded 70 points, really since the turn of the calendar as well. So, I do think that you're in for a low-scoring slog. I set my total at 128, diving under and at 2.5 or more. That is my buy point on Maris 879, 880 on the betting board. Youngstown State plays this to Oakland. Oakland is a 10-10 and a half point. Underdog totals between 154 and 155. Did set my total at a 153.5. Now, Youngstown State is the number one team in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. It has been very impressive what they've been able to do. They've been able Able to get to at least 75 points in every single game this calendar year, but they've been able to ratchet up the defense a little bit as well, giving up 70 points for fear in two other last three games. And it is an Oakland squad that they are out for revenge. Last time these two teams played, it was 85 to 69 in that game. Youngstown State shot a stifling 14 26 from three point range. Youngstown State is very good with their offensive efficiency. They aren't that good. They shoot right around 39.5% from three-par range, and this is objectively an Oakland team that stinks on defense. Oakland... They're a bottom 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, Youngstown State, they're more around 250th. Ironically enough, Youngstown State actually giving a four-tenths of a point fewer per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. But Youngstown State also does a relatively solid job on the glass. Malik Green, Adrian Nelson, anybody able to combine for twenty six half points, about 16 rebounds per game. Their main three-point shooter is Dwayne Coyle, shooting 50% from the outside, 17 points, 4.5 assists per game. But for Oakland, I do think that they're going to be able to holding this game a little bit more as we've been noticing that Oakland has been throttling down a little bit and the defense, it has been a little bit better. It's not necessarily like they're batting down the hatches or anything like that, but you know what? They've given up 73 points or fewer in now seven out of their last nine games. It's marked improvement. You've got a pair of guys in Jalen Moore and Trey Townsend. They'll be able to combine for 33 points per contest, more. He's able to give you six assists to right around three turnovers per game. Oakland, despite being a team that plays in the upper half of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, they only turn the ball over right around 10.7 times per contest considering they're right around 115th in terms of total possessions per game. That's pretty solid. And Youngstown State, they're right around 100th in terms of possessions per game. So these are two teams that they play brisk, but they don't play out of control. You've got Keaton Harvey. so able to give you 12.5 points, seven boards, shoots 42.5% you <laughs> from three-point range. Oakland has been improved on their defense a little bit more recently. Do I think that they're going to be holding Youngstown State to fewer than 70 points in this game? No, but I think that they can hold them below 80. I don't think that Youngstown State goes into flamethrower mode where they shoot 14 of 26 from three like they did the previous time that these two teams played. And I do think that Oakland, though they lose this game, they're going to be able to hold within single digits. I set my number at a a 9.5. It's an Oakland team that they do a relatively solid job on the glass, but they leave a little bit of something to be desired with their ancillary guards like Watson, only gives you right around 9.5 points per game so semi a 153.5 I'm going to be willing to dive under in this spot and with Oakland made them a a 9.5 point favorite so we'll take 10 plus with them 881 882 on the betting board it is IPFW Fort Wayne with the road face off against Cleveland State Cleveland we'll State say between a four and a half and a five-point favorite, and your total is between 137 and 137 F. And with Fort Wayne, I did set them as an underdog of three points. So I'm gonna be looking to take the four and a half slash five. You've got a Fort Wayne team that's been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. They're a team that they rank in terms of possessions per game, right in the neighborhood, about a hundredth. They're not a team that's playing super slow. They're not a team that is certainly playing super fast either. And this is the Cleveland State team that they are a team that is playing pretty stinking slow as they rank in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. And for Cleveland State, 122nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're actually allowing about a point more per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. And for Cleveland State, you've got Tristan Ranura who's been the main headline scorer for the team. 14 points, half boards, a block, a steal per game. But he shoots 22% from three in each of your top three scores For Cleveland State, shoot 24% or worse from three-point that includes Deshaun Parker, who does a good job going up for seven and a half points per game. It's a Cleveland State team that may turn the ball over 11 times for contest, but he can't shoot worth a lick. From 3-point range overall, Cleveland State shoots 30.5% for 3-point range. Drew Lauder does shoot 35% from the outside with 9.5 points per game, but you got a lot left to be desired there. And this is a Fort Wayne team that they aren't quite shooting as well as they did last season when they shot 30-plus percent. But you know what? They shoot 35% from distance, and Jared Godfrey is the most versatile player out there on the floor. He's been able to give the team 16 and half points, 5.3 rebounds, 4 assists, shooting only about 32% from 3-point range, but he has been able to shoot over 40% from 3 in the month of January, so it's been coming along a little bit for him. Ari Kapati should be the best beer rebounder in this game. 8.3 rebounds, 6.5 points per game, and then you've got a trio of guys in the backcourt and Damian Chung-Q, Deontay Billups, along with Anthony Roberts. That'll give you between 7.8 and 9.9 points per game. Billups and Roberts both shoot between 38 and 40.5% from 3-point range. Chung-Q, 3.8 assists, a 2.2 turnovers game. Four Wayne does get doomed in a little bit by the turnovers as they turn the ball over a little bit over 13 times for contests and the defense for them has been on shaky ground recently. They've given up at least 72 points at each other the last four games. This is a Cleveland State team that they've been pretty hit or miss with their defenses in the last five games they have given up 77, 54, 60, 57 and 77 points. So they certainly have been all over the place. Cleveland State has been able to score a few more points recently and last time these two teams match up it was 72 to 60. Cleveland State went on the road. They were able to get it done as they were able to hold IPFW to 34.5% shooting. IPFW went 6 to 23 from three-point range and that one Cleveland State went 4 of 19 from distance. I think both of these teams are going to be a little bit more warm with their three-point shooting, but I do think that you see fewer possessions in this game, and I do think that Fort Wayne is going to be able to execute a little bit better in this spot. I think that Cleveland State gets another win, but I don't think that they win by margin. I set this number at three with Cleveland State's shaky three-point shooting, so I'm going to be willing to take the points with the IPFW, and I think that you get a total that's pretty similar to what we got the first time around. So my might total 133, diving under, and I'm taking the points with Fort Wayne. 883, 884 on the betting board. St. Louis hits her face off against Davidson. Davidson is a one-to-one-and-a-half-point underdog. Total between 143 and F and 144. I said Davidson as a a 1.5 point favorite. I'm going to be taking them as a money line underdog. Now, the best player out there on the floor is going to be on the side of St. Louis, and his name is Uri Collins. He leads all of college basketball in assists per game with 10.5. He's able to chip in there 12 points per game, and after a rough 3-point shooting start to the season, he has shot 100% from 3 And 3 out of the Chiefs' last 4 games. So, he's able to do a really nice job there, and he has been absolutely incredible with doling out the ball as he has given out at least 10 assists, and now 6 out of the teams lie seven games, so he has been able to do his part for St. Louis. They should also have a little bit of an advantage on the glass as you have Francis Okoro chipping in their 9 rebounds, 1.7 blocks per game. Javon Pickett 10.5 points, 5 rebounds, but after a strong start to the season, he has cooled down a little bit. Javante Perkins, Gibson, Jimerson, they combined for 24 points. Jimerson shoots 37% for three, 33% out of Perkins, but his St. Louis defense that last year was pretty good at being able to generate swipes has left a lot to be desired this year. For the the St. Louisville can seem in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They rank 173rd, giving up 10.1 points more per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. you got a Davidson team that they are 168th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And if you take a look at the luck metrics, Davidson has been getting the short end of the stick so much this season. It's a Davidson team that has allowed 68 points or fewer in all but one of their games this calendar year. They've honestly done a solid job on defense. They just can't get anything to drop. Last year, Davidson was a top 25 team at three-point shooting percentage. They bring back two of their core guys in... Foster lawyer along Sam Menenga from last season. They did lose Hun Jun Lee and a few others, but still, it's a lot of the core from last year. And lawyer Menenga have been able to combine for 31 half points per game. Menenga shoots 38% from three as a six foot nine combo player with seven and a half rebounds per game. Lawyer, four and a half assists, four and a half rebounds, one point eight seals per game, shooting about thirty-four percent from three. But it's collective, they're shooting thirty-one and a half percent for distance. I'm not saying they're gonna shoot forty percent for three moving forward, but that's a number that I expect to go up. Moving forward, you've got David Skogman down low. He's able to give you right around four rebounds per game. Been able to get 10 points, four rebounds out of Desmond Watson. And Watson has been playing much better recently. Had a little bit of a clunker against LaSalle with just two points, but 13-plus points and still four out of the last five games. So his improved play I think is very good for a Davidson team that... And right now, sitting here at 500, they've been a big disappointment in a conference full of disappointments. St. Louis has been able to get it going on offense 76 plus points in four of their last five games. I credit where credit is due to the defense 71 points, of fewer surrendered in four other five games in this win streak. So they've been able to do a better job on that front. But I do think that Davidson is much improved on the defensive side of things. You've got a pair of teams that they're not necessarily looking to play at a breakneck pace. In terms of total possessions per game, St. Louis is a little bit of the faster team out of the two. As currently they're playing at a pace of one hundred and seventeenth in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Davidson, they're typically a controlled team, that's happening once again. 234th in the country in possessions per game. And they're playing at a pace of about four and a half possessions fewer these last three games. As compared to the rest of the season, I do think that Davidson, with their more deliberate play, are getting back to their roots. That might total at 139 and after diving under made Davidson the one and a half point favorite. of so Davidson is is a team that I'm gonna take outright on the money line and I'm looking at this total under eight eighty five, eight eighty six on the betting board, North Dakota. It's first face south against North Dakota State. The bison of North Dakota State are an eight 2 and eight at point favorite. Totals between one forty 140 and one forty one and North Dakota State, I set them as a 10-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the 8 to 8 eight You've got a North Dakota team that you've got one guy that's able to give you a double-figure amount of points per game, and B.J. Omad, who's been able to chip in their 11 points per contest, and I will say, for North Dakota, they're actually not a terrible 3-point shooting team. They're shooting as collective about 35% from 3-point range. Matt Norman has been able to give you 9.5 points. She's 43% from 3-point range, but you have nothing down low. Sonstay Sarsiste, he's been able to give the team 5 rebounds, 8.5 points per game, the only guy on the roster that gives you North of 3.7 rebounds per game. This is a bad matchup. I recognize that North Dakota State 315th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. So both of these teams are on par with their poop tactic defense, with North Dakota being a bunch that. They are three hundred and thirteenth in the country turns twice a lot on a per possession basis, which sadly is improvement considering they were in the bottom three in this category last year. But for North Dakota State, you've got Grant Nelson, six foot ten, six foot eleven combo player that gives you sixteen points, seven and a half boards per game, and then Alex Morgan, six boards, eleven and a half points per game at right around six foot. 10, and then you've also been able to get some good production out of Bowden skundberg in the backcourt. He shoots 37% for three, 13 points per contest. It is a pair of teams that they do leave something to be desired when it comes to the defensive side of things, but you can tell that North Dakota State, they're getting back to their roots. They were playing too fast for their own good to begin the season, so that's why their possessions per game mark, it is a little bit warped right now, 170th, but if you look at how they've been playing ever since Summit League play, they've been playing at more of a bottom 100 pace. Meanwhile, you've got a North Dakota team that they're not really looking to play too fast 270th in the country in terms of total possessions per game and for North Dakota. Very interesting to watch this defense because they actually had a nice run where they had allowed 71 points or fewer in five straight games. Now they come in having given up 84 points to Oral Roberts and 92 to Western Illinois. Meanwhile, you've got a North Dakota State team that they themselves have given up 75-plus in each of their last two games. Prior to that, they had held each of their previous four opponents to fewer than 70 points. I do think that North Dakota State is going to be able to get back to those roots, and I do think that having a few guys in the backcourt that are able to produce, something like a Chikari White, who's able to give you in-app points per contest, shooting 39% from three-point range to Jarvis Miller, who's able to give you an around eight and a half points, Shoots in the mid-30s from 3 point range. Gonna bode well for a North Dakota State team that they just have more size than North Dakota and should be able to utilize that so North Dakota is a 10-point favorite one to lay the number. I think that you get a slow and controlled game with North Dakota State raining it back in on defense. That's the total at a 138, so diving under to go along. The Bison, 887, 888 is the DK Nation pick. Kent State plays also Buffalo. Buffalo is an 11-point underdog. In your total on this game, it is 149.5, and DKH pick is going to be on the under sub by total at a 146. Now I set my spread at 11 as well. So at uh, current numbers, I would be in wait and see mode. This opened up in some spots more around 11 I even saw a straight 12 and a half. That would be my buy point on Buffalo, but the reason why I'm going to be going under in this spot is that even though Buffalo is a top five team in the country in terms of possessions per game, I think that Kent State is going to be able to get their style. Kent State is right around 150th in terms of possessions per game, but they're always able to dictate the tempo because of the way that they are able to get turnovers. They rank in the top 20 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, and Bleak Jacobs was able to give the team 2.9 steals per game. That is the number two mark in terms of steals per game among qualifying D1 players in the country Sear carry. it's going to be the best guard in this game. Seventy points, 5 assists. Doesn't shoot it well from 3. Kent State is old. They shoot about 34% from 3-point range. They do a good job of cutting off the arc and it's a Buffalo team that they're a little bit out of sorts with taking care of the ball. They turn the ball over a little bit under 15 times from contest to earn 65th in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. You do have Zid Powell and Curtis Jones who combine for 29.5 points per game. Jones is able to shoot 39% from 3-point range but Powell shooting right around twenty and a half percent from the outside and it's a Buffalo team that despite the fact that they play so fast. If you've got one guy that averages more than 5.1 rebounds per game. That would be Laquell Hardnett, who's been able to do a better job recently. Nine points, 7.3 rebounds per game. you got to give him credit. He's been able to pull in there at least eight rebounds and now four on the team's last six contests. Doesn't necessarily give you a lot of scoring, but you really don't need that. If you're Buffalo, Isaiah Adams wrote 11 points, Four and a half rebounds per game, but this is against State team that they just stick teams in the mud. They have given up 66 points or fewer in five out of the last six games. The last game that they played against Northern Illinois, where Northern Illinois just went off for a 13 of 28 three-point shooting night. That was the first time all year long that they had given up north of 74 points. I think that Kent State going to be able to reel it in and in the spot. I think that Kent State, a team that ranks in the top 25 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, going to be the most dominant unit in this game. It is a Buffalo team that they themselves have been playing a little bit better on defense. They had their game against Central Michigan go to overtime, so in regulation, they've given up 71 points or fewer in three of their last four games. The lone exception was a game against a Toledo team that's very harebrained, so DK Nation pick that is going to be on the under. Semi total at 146. Kent State made them an 11 point favorite. At current numbers, it's a wait and see mode. If we get back to that 11.5, 12 number that I was seeing earlier, we'll be willing to take the points with Buffalo. And we wrap things up with 8.89, 8.90 on the betting board. New Mexico is going to be playing us to Air Force. Air Force is an underdog of 12 to 12.5 points. we with your total 142 to 142.5. Did set this total at a 139.5. New Mexico has shown that they're very comfortable in lower scoring games. We saw that when they were able to knock off St. Mary's and and also the Dons of San Francisco and it's an Air Force team that they do a good job of being able to get their super slow and grimy pace 353rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They go up against a New Mexico bunch they play at a frenetic pace. They are 21st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. That is a little bit warped though because keep in mind they did play that overtime game against Boise State and when you play 45 minutes instead of 40 you're just going to be able to get naturally a few more possessions but it's a New Mexico team that they rank 65th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis so they've been able to do a great job on that front and a big reason why is that this team has a pair of guys that do a very good Job of guarding on the ball in Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn Jr. We always talk about their offense rightfully so because they combined average thirty six half points, seven half boards with House. 4.8 4.8 assists per game, and they both shoot north of 40% from three point range. But Ashburn Jr. chips in their seal per game. House, 2.7 seals per contest. That's a top 10 mark in all of college basketball. Now they've got Maurice Oduze along with Josiah Alec, who've been able to combine for 16.8 rebounds per game. Oduze is able to give you 59 points per game. And then KJ Jenkins shoots 42% from three, eight points per contest. He's a nice little ancillary piece. But I do think that Air Force is going to be able to hold in this game. It's a Air Force team that. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're right around 170th, but they've actually been able to play a little bit better on the road this season because they've got Jake Heidbrider, who's able to give you 14 points per game, shoots right around 37.5% from three, and Air Force has cut down the turnovers to right around 12 per contest. That was closer to 15 per game last season with Heidbrider. He's been hit or miss recently, single digits in three of the team's last four games, but he does have some nice help around him as you've got someone like a Connor Vanders who's able to give you 8 points, she's 42% from 3-point range, but able to get about 5.5 or 9.5 points out of Richas Petritas, who's been able to do a nice job recently, chipping in there at least five rebounds in four of the team's last five games and three plus assists in four of the last five as well. With Air Force being able to take care of the ball, I do think that they should be able to hold in there against a New Mexico team that, you know what, even in a slow-down game, they do play a little bit more at home and they feel very comfortable with that regard as it's a New Mexico team that their last game against Nevada that went to double overtime. So things were very, very harebrained with that regard. But prior to that, in games that had wrapped up in regulation, so that also... Throws out the Boise State game. They had given up 71 points or fewer in five out of their last eight games. And it's an Air Force team that they did play that overtime game against Colorado State. So in games that wrapped up in regulation, they've given up 70 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. So I do think that things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up with that regard. Air Force, I don't think is going to be able to quite match up down low, but I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game. Semi number at 11 and a half. So we'll take 12 or more with Air Force semi total 139 and a half. So diving under. And that'll wrap things up for the Friday edition of Coastal Coast Soup Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to our good friend Curtis Rogers over there at Ten Seattle Sports for joining me in the last segment. If you'd like what you're from this fine podcast Soup, you are able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we go those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gnet underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters M, name doesn't matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means i am coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for being in.